from the team at CTS, this is the Time Crunch Cyclist Podcast, our show dedicated to answering your training questions and providing actionable advice to help you improve your performance, even if you're strapped for time. I'm your host, Coach Adam Pulford, and I'm one of the over 50 professional coaches who make up the team at CTS. In each episode, I draw on our team's collective knowledge, other coaches, and experts in the field to provide you with the practical ways to get the most out of your training and ultimately become the best cyclist that you can be. Now, on to our show. Welcome back, Time Crunch fans. I'm your host, Coach Adam Pulford. HRV has had its ups and downs in popularity and trendiness, and right now it seems to be getting more integrated into devices or wearables as part of the athlete's journey. Thus, the popularity and trends are up. But is it worth looking at? What does it mean? And how do you use it in your tr- in your own training to help guide you in decision-making? Or do you use it at all? So to help answer those questions, I brought back in CTS Premier Coach and Head Ultra Running Coach, Jason Coop. Jason, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be back on the podcast, Adam. It's always good to have a conversation with you. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, on all of our side conversations, I do like to uh, heckle and um, and make some jokes about all these metrics and whatnot because there's there's a lot of noise out there, but there's also there's also some some hope in in some of these devices, and in particular HRV. I mean, I've been uh, I would say reading, learning, using it or trying to use it for, for many years, uh, hit and miss on delivering some of it. So there's some been, there's been some like latest good stuff out there. So I want to talk about that with you today. You've done a good job of, um, helping educate some of our coaches as well. And I know you, you got a good working relationship with a gentleman named Marco Altini. So I'd say with that, when we talk about kind of the, this history of HRV, like we're um, j- just talking about in, in the way of it's been good and, and does it actually work to help frame some of this up. Most of our athletes have likely heard of HRV. Some of you are tracking it with your own wearables. But if you consider yourself to be a know nothing sort of person about HRV, I'd hit pause right now and go to the Coopcast, which is Jason's podcast and go to episode number 106. He does uh, an awesome interview with Marco Altini uh, for a full in-depth interview to understand all the ins and outs of HRV. If you have some of that basic understanding, like I was talking about, and you're using Whoop, Aura, Garmin, maybe HRV for training, then this, this is a great show for you. This will go deeper, but into the practical kind of guiding of how to use this thing. So the whole goal for today is to give you that practical guide about HRV as a metric but I really encourage all listeners to keep on learning more about this if you think that it's going to work for you. So that's the qualifier. You can choose your own journey right now. Go to Coopcast and listen to that and then swing back here or just keep listening to us because Coop and I are going to get right into it. We're going to go right, for Coop. the jugular, dude. We're just going to like get right, like right into the right, like right into the meat of it. We're going for it. So Coop, what the heck is HRV and why do we care? 
Well, so HRV, very simply put, is the variability between heartbeats. So if we think about our hearts are sitting here, Adam's heart is probably beating a lot faster than mine because he's the nervous podcast host. And if he looked at his watch right now, it's probably about 80 beats per minute. And I'm at, I'm at a calm 40 to 45 beats per minute as the know-all guest. But those beats do not happen on regular intervals. There's variability within each of those beats from beat to beat, and that is what is known as heart rate variability. And essentially what you're trying to get a fix on when you are evaluating heart rate, variabil uh, heart rate variability essentially is how the autonomic nervous system is functioning and whether or not an athlete is either primed for performance, that's one of the value propositions, and or primed for adaptation. And we tend to put a lot of emphasis on the latter as compared to the formal, former. And uh, most of the research and practice right now is really, is really very much focused on that is, can we use this as a metric to potentially, as, a, as one metric of many, to potentially give us a directional arrow on, should we continue with this hard workout tomorrow? Or should we abort it and kick that can down the road to a future point in time of which that future point in time, that athlete could reap more adaptation out of that same workout. So that's, that's the basic value proposition. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good summation of it. So in, in the past, um, I've been hit and miss on actually using that in my coaching practice to decide, but I'd say as of late and in particular november of 2022 some of that shifted for a lot of us i'd say coaches maybe athletes that are paying attention to it what shifted what changed there to make this a more viable metric to use well it's just like any other techno technological revolution it's the improvement in friction that's associated with acquiring the acquiring the data so let's just go way, like way, way, way back to when power meters first started gaining mass appeal. You went from this really clunky, super heavy, somewhat finicky device. SRM was the first one on the marketplace where the head unit was like the size of an iPad mini. If it's probably the footprint of an iPad mini, but like four times the thickness. If, you, if the listeners want to like put that, that, that uh, vision in their head, you'd mount it to your handlebars and it probably cost, you know, five grand. So it was, it was super inaccessible for a lot of athletes. And gradually the technology got better to where everybody could put a reasonably priced, non-invasive power meter on their bike. That was, that's reasonably accurate. Same thing with heart rate variability, where there's always been a way to capture it going way back to where you would just literally put your finger on a light bulb and you could uh, capture those uh, types of uh, types of measurements to now where a lot of the wearable devices including the wristwatches. So Apple, for example, well, the Apple watch, or even a lot of the Garmin watches, they have the capability of capturing, capturing heart rate variability in an, in an accurate manner. So that's why we see the proliferation of it. It's just become the, the friction of actually acquiring the data has just, uh, has just been reduced to where I can take a heart rate variability measurement now just on my wristwatch. I don't have to change you know, equipment. I don't have to do anything differently. I just have to push a button and I'll get that measurement. So then becomes the question of, are those measurements, the time of day that we're taking those measurements or the timing, I guess is more important of those measurements actually accurate. And we've just had kind of what I would call a, you know, a relatively uh, large leap in that 
to where there are three manufacturers right now. So that's Aura, the Whoop Strap, and Garmin that can take nighttime heart rate variability. And it can be a useful as well as an accurate number. The other companies will eventually kind of gain suit on that, Apple Watch and things like that, because essentially they're uh, adopting an algorithm in order to uh, present information that is applicable in terms of the entire average of nighttime heart rate variability. So we've had these two leaps in terms of how accessible it is to capture this information. First one is a hardware leap, and the second one is a software leap where now you can get it, kind of get it overnight. So now you look at, is that overnight reading actually something that you want to apply? And we can get into that a little bit later in terms of the what the what the typical run of show is that that I would recommend that I would uh, that I would use for my athletes. But in terms of mass adoption, you have the data acquisition method that is associated with the least amount of friction possible. I go to sleep and I wake up and I have some sort of theoretically actionable number. So that's why you see a lot of the adoption, so to speak, start to take place in the marketplace because they don't have to do anything different than they're already doing. They're just going to sleep with their smartwatch and they're waking up and they have some sort of number to fidget with. Yeah, that, that's a good <clears throat> that's a good summation of um, the hardware and software revolution of sorts. But there's there still is a good way of, I'd say, manually capturing HRV and I know you use it. I use it quite a bit. I use it with um, a few of my athletes. But speak to how to capture that um, for anybody who's interested in not doing the automatic way of doing it, but to using the manual transmission. But also speak to your athlete who, because uh, it's a pretty easy process, but some of your athletes didn't, <laughs> weren't uh, obeying the rules by it. So kind of like speak to the nuance of, of that. Yeah, 100%. So let's back up a little bit. And and as a basic summary, the value proposition that I'm using this with my athletes is, do we want to proceed as planned? Or do we want to change what is prescribed for the day that we're taking this, uh, the day that we're taking this measurement? There are other use cases for heart rate variability, but that's going to be outside of the scope of this podcast. Yeah. So from a very fundamental standpoint, what we're trying to gauge is, is the autonomic nervous system primed to reap the adaptation that it will eventually result from the stress that the athlete is going to be asked to do for the particular workout? And one of the ways we can gauge this is with heart rate variability. Now, in order to ascertain the autonomic nervous system correctly, you want to make sure that it is in as of a rested state as possible when you're taking this measurement. Because once again, heart rate variability is one of the things that the autonomic nervous system actually regulates. So by taking this measurement, we're getting kind of a surrogate measure of that system's capacity to adapt. That being said, the this proliferation of night overnight heart rate variability finally being accurate was nice but it's still in my opinion not enough to actually use as a as a metric and here's why you know i mentioned earlier that one of the things that we're doing uh with measuring heart rate variability is we want to measure it at a time that's furthest away from the last stress as possible in order to get the best gauge on are you actually recovered or is the system ha- has the system actually normalized i think is a better way to is a better way to put it 
And the time to do that is as far away from the last stress as possible and within a reasonable enough time until the next workout. The issue with an overnight measurement, although those measurements are accurate, it, they are actually within those three devices, they are giving you an accurate measurement compared to a gold standard of heart rate variability. The issue with that is, is you are taking an entire nighttime of measurement. So from the time that, that the device thinks that you have fallen asleep to the time the device thinks that you have woken up. And many times, the early parts of those measurements are fairly close to a significant stressor. Now, most of us will think about a stressor as a workout, but in terms of how the autonomic nervous system actually functions, a stressor can be many other things. One of them is just a meal. A lot of people eat 6, 7 p.m., They'll go to bed at 9 or 10 p.m. That's not a lot of time in between that last stressor and the beginning of the heart rate variability measurements. Same thing could be true for, you know, an evening cocktail. I know Adam likes his, you know, whiskey drinks in the evening to help him wind down after a long, hard day of coaching. He's going to have that drink at what time, Adam? 8 p.m., 8 or 9 9 p.m. or something like that? 8, 8.30. I got to get to bed by 10, but yeah, 8, 8.30 Yep. So your old fashioned that you're taking in at, at that point in time is not that far removed from the initial parts of an overnight heart rate variability measurement. And so what I like to do with my athletes is, is for them to actually take the measurement first thing in the morning. So they wake up, they go to the bathroom, they sit upright. There's uh, something with the orthostatic pressure that sitting upright actually creates where it makes the heart rate variability measure measurement a little bit more sensitive to change. They take that the whole process takes a minute. Um, and then I have them fill out a subjective questionnaire, which takes a, a, another, another minute to, uh, another minute to fill out. I personally use it from a coaching standpoint, uh, Mar- Marco, who you mentioned earlier, his HRV for training app to capture all of that. So either have the athlete push a measurement with a device or just take the measurement using their phone camera and the light, which is also quite, uh, which is also com- uh, quite accurate as well, as long as there's no movement. And the reason I like that is just because of its consistency. And then I combine the, the what, what we're seeing from a heart rate variability perspective with the subjective data, as well as the performance data and the training context to determine, are we proceeding as planned? Or are we deviating from, from the plan? So that's the process. Wake up, go to the bathroom, take your heart rate variability measurement, fill out the rest of the subjective questionnaire with it, within that app. And it's got a color coding system, green, yellow, red, t- very stereotypical stoplight system. And the game I play with my athletes is if they get a yellow or a red flag is we're just going to make a decision that morning. We're going to look at everything kind of coming up. And sometimes that means keeping to plan. If there's no hard workout planned or if the hard workout is really important and we're kind of look at timing issues or whatever. And then other times it's kick that can down the road, maybe a day or two days or something like that. But, fu- but fundamentally, that's the that's the run of show that I'm using. Yeah. And I think it's important to also recognize the fact that this HRV measurement is recognizing that last stress coming into the system because whether it is alcohol and that, and that's why alcohol plays up in HRV so much perceiving it as a stress coming into the system, especially overnight. If a lot of people are wearing these wearables and the overnight measurement, you got your absolute highest HRV and then you have the average HRV and the average is usually what's kicked out and kind of like used in an algorithm to give you 
you're recovered, go train, or you're not recovered, don't train sort of thing on all these other wearables. When you're speaking to the HRV for training system, the reason why I would say have a preference or a bias to that is because it's overlaying all these other questions that I've been asking my athletes on a very regular basis and it gets them to ask themselves amidst the green, yellow, or red. And that's where I think the observation um, as a whole with all these questions in conjunction with a number is really fruitful just for everybody to kind of like organize it between those two. Yeah. And let me kind of set the table a little bit further. I I take four weeks of data before I do anything. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't do anything. I know, I know people that'll use seven days, 10 days, or even 20 days. I just like to give it to four weeks. I let it run. Some of that is to work out, um, some of the kinks within the like measurement and communication process. I, I told the story within our coaching group, uh, I was working with one, one athlete, a lead athlete who should, who should know better. And, um, while this person was taking their heart rate variability measurements, they were basically swiping the app over and like answering text messages and checking Strava or kind of like whatever. And it took me like two weeks to figure that out. Like why everything was just all over the map within the, within this morning measurement. So something very, very simple, even though we've gone through the measurement collection procedure, something simple that, that ends up taking up a chunk of time to actually work through. But I like seeing four weeks of data and I let the normal values that HRV for training kind of flow through to determine what their normal range is. And then when there's ever a deviation out of that range, that is the first potential indicator arrow to maybe you actually want to to change things. But I'll also emphasize at the end of the day, it's still a human making the decision. So the app and all wearables have some alchemized version of this that will tell you what you're supposed to do. I wake up every day and my Garmin, Garmin Phoenix tells me pretty precisely what I should do for the day. And it's never, it's never a very good prescription to be honest with you, but all these apps have some sort of, some sort of version of that where it's telling you what, you know, what, what theoretically what you should do. And HRV for training is, is no different. They categorize the, they categorize what to do though. I think when we're talking about the context of heart rate variability in the correct way, in that they're not telling you what to do, Go do a hard workout today. Go do a long workout today. Go do an easy workout today. That's something that you would see uh, within the Omega Wave system, which a lot of uh, athletes who are probably listening to this uh, podcast are familiar with, where they compartmentalize what to do across you know four different axes, essentially, or four different types of uh, types of workouts. The way heart rate uh, for HRV for training actually works is it's telling you to either proceed as planned. That's their green indicator arrow. Limit intensity, so that's their yellow indicator arrow, or take a rest day. And I I can't remember exactly what it says there, but take a rest day, and that's their red indicator arrow. It's not telling you that, hey, go do a hard workout today. It's saying proceed as planned, meaning there's nothing kind of, there's no obstacles, uh, no obstacles in your way. Now, when I look at it, I still apply a little bit of a human touch. And this is just based on my own experience. There are going to be other coaches out there and other athletes out there. And I'm sure Marco and I would, you know, kind of debate and compare and contrast this as well. But in my experience, I'm taking the yellow or the red indicator arrow about 50% of the time. 
Um, sometimes I'm when it's telling me to take a rest day, I'm like, yeah, you know what? Go, you got a two hour endurance run. Go ahead and do that. Sometimes when it's saying limit intensity, I'm going, you know what? You need to, you, okay, let's limit intensity. Let's move this workout one day down the line or something like that. Other times I'm looking at it and based on a whole host of reasons, I'll say, you know what? You need to suck it up, buttercup. We're, we're going to get this workout done. And there's a few reasons for that is, is one, there always needs to be some sort of overall workout context. And the one thing that, you know, all of these apps are missing are what's the workout context. What do you have today? What do you have tomorrow? When is your key race? Right. You'll, you'll notice that within, within all of these apps, none of them ask you, when is your key event or when is your a event or even what is your a event? Is it a bike ride? Is it a run? Is it an ultra marathon? Is it a sprint distance triathlon or whatever? None of them are really asking that. So it's always been funny to me that they're giving workout advice without knowing what the actual end goal is. Um, but the other reason for this, and I'm, I'm starting to appreciate this more and more, uh, with as, as the competitive season starts to go along is when you start to use these stoplight systems to gauge, are they going to work, work out hard or not? You also have to let the athlete understand that they can still compete and win whenever they get some sort of negative reading. I, I, both Adam and I know a lot of coaches over at the Olympic Training Center that will actually blind their athletes to these types of measurements in the advance of a big competition because the stress of the competition throws everything haywire. The travel, the, the big bright lights, the stage, the pressure, all those things tend to, they're not a normal environment. And some athletes have, you know, adverse physiological reactions. And when you're, when you're measuring them very precisely, like we are here, they can, they, they, they can show up abnormally, right. As, as, uh, in, in every sense of the way. And I think by doing a hard workout every once in a while, when you get one of these yellow or red indicators, they can usually do the work, you know? And I think that that demonstrates to them that even when they are ramping up into an event that they can compete and win, even, even though there might be a quote unquote adverse you know, physiolog- physiological finding based on a morning measurement. Yeah. And, and I think the real practical way around this, at least this is what I do with my athletes is if it's yellow, text me, we'll decide together after ask or after asking a few more questions and then eat, let's proceed anyway. And then I use the warm up rule where, okay, proceed as plan with what yeah. we got on there. You do 15, 20 minutes warming up, couple openers, and then get into the main set. And usually after the openers yeah. of that warm up, you'll likely know. And then as you guide through this, and I'll I'll kind of guide them through how to adjust during the main set if possible. But like you said, man, like punching through a hard workout on a non-optimized day, that's life. That's racing. That's high performance yeah. right there. Because yeah. you gotta know how to operate when all things are not optimized. And that's but but you're using this tool to just help guide the athlete's journey in maybe maybe a little better way now that we have all this technology kind of coming up. So I just want to mention that. Yeah, I, I, this is this is whenever I have an athlete that asks me, "Am I going like? Do you want me to use this?" Really, leave it up to the athletes. To be honest 100%. with you, it's their training, you know. Yeah. And if they're ambivalent on it, say, "Yeah, let's let's go ahead and 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 here are all the caveats. You have to do this every morning." you know, here's the feedback caveat and all these other things. And, um, from a functional perspective though, I find that I'm changing usually like two workouts every two to three months. And sometimes that's material 
right? In the whole scheme of things. Um, and I would say it's more material when one of those two workouts, you prevent the big negative. So they're just on the edge of it. It's usually an illness, right? They're just on the edge of an illness. You've got a couple of leading indicators that you can use for that for that edge of that illness. Heart rate variability is one. Body temperature could be another one. So if they have an aura ring, right, you can bring body temperature into the equation of whether to work out hard or not. And you're avoiding the terrain trap of that hard workout being another stimulus that beats down their immune system that now they're out for three or four days. So now you've lost, you know, you've gained one workout, but then you've lost, you know, maybe two or three kind of on the backside. So that might be material for a lot of athletes, but, but what I try to do first, and this is the lesson for all the coaches out there and the athletes that are coaching themselves. What I try to do first is just make sure you have smart architecture, smart, reasonable, well thought out training with adequate rest. Hopefully you shouldn't run into any of these things. When you're pushing the envelope, especially with elite athletes, they're right at the edge of their total, you know, workload that they can sustain for, you know, shorts or medium, short or medium amount of time. That's when you want to incorporate these other things just to make sure you're not tripping over your own two feet. 100%. And I think even for our time crunched athletes is, you know, they're operating in a different world in a different kind of set of rules which is not being time rich right and therefore yeah. also not fully uh fresh every single workout and, and the goal really isn't to be fresh for every single workout if, if that were the case i mean cool that'd be great but that just doesn't happen so you, you said something about optimize and preventing so would you say that you're using this metric to optimize someone's training experience or are you using it to prevent bad things from potentially occurring. Uh, it's a hundred percent the latter. Yeah. You are absolutely using this as a terrain trap avoidance system. You're trying to prevent falling, falling into the hole. You're trying to prevent, you know, unexplained underperformance syndrome. You're trying to, you're trying to prevent, uh, overtraining syndrome. You're trying to prevent under fatigue, whatever vocabulary <laughs> that we want to kind of like put on it. You're definitely yeah. using it as a, uh, as a prevention tool. I do not think, and I, and I firmly believe that that is the case right now. I don't think that you can use this to kind of optimize the training program. You're using structure to optimize the training program. You're using architecture to optimize the training program. Essentially what this is telling you, and this is back to the HRV vocabulary. This is one of the reasons I like the app very much is, is it is telling you, you are not ready to adapt from the workout. So, so absolutely. Yeah. We're using this as a terrain trap avoidance system. And I think that that's the case, to be honest with you, with most monitoring systems, you even go back to blood profiling, blood profiling, in my opinion, there are people that will disagree with this, but in my opinion, you're looking at, at you're looking at not trying to achieve an optimized blood profiling state because who the heck knows what that is. You're trying to see if they're in a state that they're ready to adapt. And if they're not, then you back off things, you use supplementation, you increase their energy intake, kind of what, whatever intervention that you want to use. So it's the same thing there. You're using this as a, as, as a system to avoid the negative, essentially. Yeah, and I would argue that training stress balance or TSB or AKA form on training peaks is also a metric used um, in, in similar fashions, right? Just to glean more insights yeah. on the athlete's training status to see if we're ready to push push the gas pedal or not and adapt from it. Um, just a couple of last questions. You said you don't use this with every athlete. Um, you you kind of let the athlete choose uh, and then come to you and then start working with it. 
if people are listening and they're like, hmm, I wonder if I'm the athlete type for that, what type of athlete would you say should be using a wearable device or HRV for training to start in their training journey? Well, first off, I would start with the procedure that we just mentioned. It's easy to go to the frictionless procedure that I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. waking up every day, I flick my Garmin on, I can see what my nighttime heart rate variability is. It even, it even has like the range that it's supposed to be in. I mean, that's a very user-friendly way to present a piece of information that apparently you can take action from. I would suggest athletes take the to take the two minute investment. This doesn't sound like a lot, but you would be surprised at how the lack of compliance that uh, a lot of athletes display when they want to start to do this. Take the two minutes, take the one minute for your morning heart rate variability measurement, take the other minute to fill out a subjective questionnaire and start there. And then just start with the standard guidepost that it gives you. And, and if you're coaching yourself, that's what I would do because it's hard to interpret everything else. Then once you go a few, once you go through your 30 days and you go through a few of those, okay, I'm, I'm going to limit my intensity today. I've got a hard workout. I'm just going to turn that in, into an endurance rider run. Um, I've got an endurance rider run. I've got a red flag. I'm just going to take the day off. I'm not going to be pretentious about putting in additional, you know, time volume or miles or whatever. Once you go through a few iterations of that, then you can layer in, okay, you know what, maybe I'll shade the training here or do something different there. But I think if you're, if you're kind of like naive to it and you want to use it, first off, invest the two minutes, second off, give it 30 days. Third, take the recommendations lock, stock and barrel for the first several of them. And then once you've taken those, then you can figure out, you know, if you need to kind of like customize them for you or for the situation or kind of whatever, whatever is in front of you. That's great advice. And I would, I would definitely hearken that in addition to if somebody is using like a, a frictionless, uh, wearable right now, I like that term and you're not getting the feedback from the frictionless system that you want. I would also encourage you to, um, use HRV for training, use that process that we're talking about. And you can, you can use that, apply it to your training and also compare it to that wearable um, to, to get more insight on that because you're kind of your own uh, experiment that's going on. And the more insight you can get, that's great. But it's never just one thing. It's never just the HRV. It's never just the TSB. It's never just the, you know, yeah. you know, your, your can I mention one thing on that, Adam? Yeah. Can yeah, I mention please. one thing on that? Yeah. So since this is a time crunch cyclist podcast, I think this is really important for this audience. Yeah. In my, in my experience, the normie athletes, the time crunched athletes, have a harder time interpreting overnight average heart rate variability. Yeah. So the frictionless way that I was mentioning earlier, and that is because their lifestyle is full of stress right before they go to bed because they're normal athletes. They're putting the kids to bed. They're like reading, you know, the presentation that they have to give in the morning. They're ha they, you know, they have to, uh, this is my air quotes. They have to unwind with a gin and tonic, tonic or if you're or an Adam fashion. and old fashioned. Yeah. 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 If you're Adam and old fashioned, <laughs> they have to unwind in that way. And uh, my point with that is, is they're more subject to that last stress being later in the evening as compared mm -hmm. to an elite athlete who's going to eat at 5 p.m., sit and watch Netflix for three hours, and then go to bed at 8, right? Yeah. That So so anyway, I, I think it's a better use case for the time crunch athlete, athlete to wait throughout the entirety of the night, get as far away from that last stress as possible, 
take their heart rate variability first thing in the morning after after they wake up, it, and it's going to provide a better assessment as compared to the nighttime heart rate variability. So as ironic as it seems, you know, that it'd be easier for the time crunched athlete just to do it while they're sleeping. I think it's a better setup to take the two minutes in the morning, sit down, take that measurement, take the subjective subjective questionnaire and go there because their life is so filled with all these, you know, large stressors just before they go to bed. Couldn't agree more. And I think it's, man, you said it before, like, you're human and the human should be ultimately making the decision. You're, you're not a metric. You're not an algorithm. So don't let your life be guided by some robotic thing like that. And honestly, you'll be more, more happy <laughs> if, you, if you're actually making some of these <laughs> it's decisions. In your, it's in your control a little bit more, you know? I mean, yeah. it, I would, trust me, I would love to to somehow systematize these types of measurements because it would make my life easier. I mean, you think about, Mm -hmm. you know, what I've got to do in order to implement this five in the morning. First thing I wake up, I open up HRV panel and I look at yellow, red, and green dots. And if there's anything kind of awry, you've got to kind of make decisions right, right then and there. It it makes my coaching job a little bit harder. um, Although I feel it's more effective, Mm -hmm. but it does make my coaching job a little bit harder incorporating that. So I would love for an algorithm to take that over just so I can sleep a little bit longer and, or get into my morning run a little bit earlier. Yeah. I, um, um, but it's just not there. It's just not there. It's just not there yet. And I don't know if it'll ever be there. There still needs to be a human at the end of the day, kind of interpreting this and make a decision. And we have said that throughout the last 25 years of my coaching career with every technological innovation that has come along that has promised to somehow systematize things. So who knows? We can't predict the future. That pattern might get broken with the next generation of whatever. But if we're looking at HRV in the in the in kind of the use case right now, there still has to be a human at the end of the day that's trying to, to just trying to suss out really what's going on and what to do. Fully agree. So to bring this thing home, HRV monitoring devices, wearables, and measurement systems have all gotten a lot better recently. I think that it. Oh, I'm just going to steal a, a coop term here, but it makes this a small directional arrow in terms of a metric to make some of these uh, better decisions about training. And that can help you as the self-coached athlete. It can help us coaches uh, get more insights on what to do today based on the current situation. I think it's great. However, it's it's never looking at one metric. You're human, not an algorithm. Um, use this and use this podcast and use all these tools that we've been talking about to uh, educate yourself a little bit more and, and get a better insight on your own body to help train yourself and elevate performance. Coop, anything else you want to add to that? Well, so the bigger elephant in the room is, is what's the big directional arrow, right? Mm. And I, I, I like that phrasing. Yeah, this yeah. is a, a small directional arrow of which there are seven or eight you can use. I use soreness a lot, right? I'm a I'm trail running coach. Yep. There's a lot of uh, delayed onset muscle soreness that happens uh, with trail running. I put that as one of the metrics that I one of the subjective metrics that I have uh, athletes record. And you can, based on your situation, you can use any kind of like num- number of these to to look at. But HRV I view is a is a is a small one. So what's the big one? Big one's performance. If I if I see performance kind of the same, you know, you're going as hard as you can for the set of intervals, and they're just kind of the same one day. Then you don't have a lot of stress on your system. You can still perform. We start to see that performance decline by 
10%. That's usually the rule of thumb that I use. That's when we start paying attention that there might be some cumulative fatigue that we were looking to eventually generate that might tell us time that it's, you know, kind of due for a rest date. And then you add a small directional arrow, HRV, excessive soreness or whatever that corroborates the big directional arrow, then you've got something to actually go on. So that that's what I would also add the context on with, with the athletes is yes, this is a small directional arrow. There are other small directional arrows out there. The big directional arrow is always performance. Always performance. And I think that's a good way to add because at the end of the day, all, every single one of these podcasts is really all about performance. Never lose sight of that because if we're building and developing performance, you're on the right track. If performance, if you're hitting the gas pedal and performance is going down, you're on the wrong track. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. Well, thanks for talking about big and small arrows today, Coop. I I really appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, of course, Matt. It's always fun to kick it with you, Adam. (laughs) All right. We'll leave it there. Thanks, Coop. Thanks for joining us on the Time Crunch Cyclist Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want even more actionable training advice, head over to trainright.com backslash newsletter and subscribe to our free weekly publication. Each week, you'll get in-depth training content that goes beyond what we cover here on the podcast that'll help you take your training to the next level. That's all for now. Until next time, train hard, train smart, train right.